The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We are in a book uh, of the Bible called Exodus. And this is an ancient story. And for us, we're, we're kind of trying to understand the story um, in both the way that they experienced this story back then and the way that we as New Testament Christians, for those of us in the room that are Christians, the, the way that we're supposed to understand it. And we've been saying all along that Exodus is the gospel according to Moses. It's the good news about God according to Moses, which then ultimately we now as people thousands of years later and after Jesus' death, burial and resurrection, now we get to sort of understand the gospel, but, but we can't understand the Christian New Testament gospel without actually understanding the Old Testament. You, you, you can't, uh, we're not supposed to unhinge from the Old Testament. We're supposed to read both uh, the Old and New, and sometimes the, sometimes the New Testament's hard to read, right? And then we kind of go, well, let's, let's not read the, the Old, but actually, um, if you want to understand God, if you want to understand Jesus, you've got to read the whole book. You've got to read it all. Um, and so what we've been trying to do in this particular series is kind of go, go to an old ancient story and draw out all the things that it's got, not just to say to them, but to, to say to us today, for those of us who are seeking uh, to follow Jesus. Um, I won't tell you my age, oh, but my sister-in-law will yell it out from the front, uh, thank you, um, she said I'm 33, and uh, <clears throat> as, a, as a more mature man, um, I remember certain things that my father or my mother taught me that have stayed with me all of my life. Do you have some of these? Do you have some like axioms or little statements, little things that your parents said that have stuck with you uh, forever? Um, for example, some of you think I'm weird. Well, my mum told me that I'm special. And that has stayed with me forever. And so it doesn't matter what anybody says to me. I'm like, yeah, but mama, mama says I'm special. Uh, my mum used to call me her angel. My brother, he didn't get that one. He was called the turd. Um, and that's just, you know, hey, what can you do? When you're living next to the angel, everything looks bad. Um, my, my mum my had a few good statements that stayed me. One, she said to me as like a young Christian, I became a Christian when I was 19, 20, and I remember um, I was exploring business and I wanted to go into business management and marketing. My goal was to make a whole lot of money, um, be wealthy. And I remember my mum, when I became a Christian, said to me, um, boys chase dreams, real men chase God. And that has stayed with me forever. That has, that has shaped how I view my life. Um, I'm no longer doing business stuff. I'm more doing pastoral ministry, but it's still the same because you can be in pastoral ministry and, and go after success and go after fame and try and get on preachers and sneakers, which I do. Check out these ones. These are awesome. Uh, they just don't cost $1,000, so I don't get on the Instagram account, okay? But hey, if you've got $1,000 you want to give me so I can have some cool shoes to get on there, I'll do it. Um, I remember my dad as I was seeking to get into a dating relationship, said, uh, just realize you don't just marry the this, this spouse, you marry the family. Get to know the family. There are, there are things that our, our parents or our, our school, there might be an influential teacher, people, things that they have said to us that have stayed with us and shaped us. And this is what we're seeing in this particular part of the story. God has delivered the Egyptians out of the hand of slavery 
from the Egyptians. And he's taking the Israelites to Hebrews and he is setting them free. And then now they're in this thing called the wilderness. And we looked at last week that the wilderness is the gap between slavery and glory. It's, it's the gap that we live in between where we were before we were Christians to where God is taking us to our ultimate future, which is to be with him forever. And in between that, we have this thing called the wilderness. It is the journey. It is the sojourn. It's learning how to live this life. And in there, God is giving us principles and guidelines and instructions that are supposed to stay with us and, and sort of um, mold us and shape us as to how we are going to live as his people. And so this group of people, we don't know exactly how many scholars sort of debate between a million, maybe a couple of million of people uh, on this journey and God wants to teach them lessons. He wants to teach them principles. And if you remember last week, we kind of said God's goal isn't just to deliver them from Egypt. God's goal is to deliver them from Egypt and deliver Egypt from them. Because they've been living in a culture for so long that they're blinded to the way that they still are Egyptian. This is, this is you and I. We are so influenced by a culture, we're not even aware of it. There are things that we think that come from a cultural worldview and not a biblical one. And we just adopt it. Our culture is trying to feed us all sorts of ideologies and beliefs and worldviews in which we are supposed to take and live. And, and the Bible is saying, no, no, we, we, we are contrary to that. Don't listen to that. Don't follow that. Follow the book. Go this way, because this is the way that leads to life. And so this next scene, if you've been reading the book or you've been with us for a while, or maybe if you're just new, it, it kind of feels like a different episode. Have you ever watched a, a Netflix series or something where it's kind of all happening and then there's this one episode which just felt boring? It's like, that just didn't really fit, but really that episode kind of acts as a bridge to the next stage of the story. It might be like a, an episode of Boba Fett when he's not even in it and your kids are like, that was so boring, he's not even in the show, what are we doing? It's like, wait, it's coming, you know? This is kind of what we feel. It's, it's things have been happening. Miracle after miracle has been happening. Uh, we've had fire. We've got clouds. We've got parting of the Red Seas. We've got plagues. We've got all sorts of crazy stuff. And then we're slowing down. It's like now God's just saying, okay, we're not going to worry about that stuff for now. Let me tell you how to live. Let me tell you my way for the future. And the reason is, is because it's one thing to be set free. It's another thing to live free. It's one thing to be forgiven by God. It's another to live out of that and live free from your past. Right? It's one thing to, to be forgiven by God. It's another thing to live forgiven. It's one thing to say yes to Jesus, receive his forgiveness, be made right with God, and then live in a relationship with God. There's a difference between being set free and living free and this part of the narrative, this is where we're going, is like, hey, listen, I haven't just delivered you so that you could be delivered. I've come to deliver you so I can show you how to live delivered, live free. And so whilst this may seem slow as you read, uh, we're going to be going from chapter 19 to 24 today. We're not going to read it all, obviously. Uh, but in there, there is all of these principles that I believe that uh, God is giving to the people of Exodus and for us today. So I want to give you four lessons for living as God's freed people. Number one, 
Be prepared to fight the good fight. The Christian life, the, the Bible tells us, is a battle. There is a real enemy who doesn't like you and doesn't like God and is against you. Okay? Now, we, we did a series last year where we looked at the importance of not overemphasizing the enemy and just blame shifting everything on him. The reason I didn't put out the bins today, Satan. <laughs> you know, for me, it's either COVID or Satan. Sorry, the reason why I haven't mowed, the devil got me. Sorry. At, at my highest moment, the devil come for me and he got me and now I'm not mowing, right? Uh, we, we don't get to just blame the devil for everything. Um, and so there's, uh, C.S. Lewis kind of says there's, 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 there's this overemphasis of the enemy sometimes that Christians have, and everything's the devil and everything's seen through a lens. But then there's also the other side, which is not superstition, but a substition, that we underemphasize the enemy, that we take it for granted that he's real, that there is a spiritual warfare going on for your soul, for your heart, for your mind, for your life. There are enemies that stand against God. And what we see in the story is God has been doing miracle after miracle. We've just seen him feed them. We've just seen him give them water. And now they're moving from this place called Rephidim, which means the resting place. And immediately they are attacked by an enemy. So it says this in chapter 17, verse 8. It says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And so Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur, that's not Ben, Hur went up to the top of the hill. Some of the, some of the young kids don't, don't get that joke. Uh, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whether, wherever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. So miracle after miracle, parting of the Red Sea, feeding, water, they get to the place of rest and now they're on the next stage of the journey and boom, an enemy attacks. Why and how and when does the enemy attack? Well, Deuteronomy tells us that he attacks them. It, it literally says that as they set off, the, the Amalekites were waiting for those who were weary and tired and were picking them off. See, the enemy often will get us at our highest highs because we drop our guard or we become self-sufficient. Okay, well, we don't really need God. We're doing fine. Career's going good. Study's going good. Marriage is fine. Family's good. I'm good. And so we get complacent or it's when we're weary and we're tired and we've just been through two and a bit years of COVID and we're, we're, we're weary and we're... we're not sure about where we stand with God and you know, you know what, I don't know if I really want to go to church anymore, I don't really know, I don't know if I want to rock up to life, I don't really feel like praying and that's where the enemy gets us. I don't know if you've noticed this but you're a far better Christian when you've slept well. Have you noticed that? You're far more patient. Um, when I'm well slept, when I'm well rested, when I'm fed, and I've eaten, and I'm not hangry. Man, I'm patient, and I'm kind. But as soon as I've been shopping for four hours, and I'm hangry, and I've been to every single shop, and we still don't know what we're going to buy, because I've got three girls, and they still can't make a decision, guess what? I'm no longer good Christian dad. I'm like, buy something and hurry the heck up, because I want to eat. And my boy's with me. He's like, yeah. 
We want to eat. That was just to get your attention, by the way. In the story, when they're in Egypt, the Hebrews never have to wage war. Not once in their 400 years of being in Egypt did they wage war. Why? Because they were already enslaved. Now that they've been freed, God has set them free, now they have to fight to keep the freedom. Now, for the rest of their journey, it's going to be an ongoing war, an ongoing battle to stay free. This is what Spurgeon says in his sermon called War with Amalek. He says, the children of Israel were not under the power of Amalek. They were free men. And so we are not under the power of sin any longer. The yoke of sin has been broken by God's grace from our necks. And now we have to fight, not as slaves against the master, but as free men against the foe. Moses never said to the children of Israel while they were in Egypt, go fight with Pharaoh. Not at all. It is God's work to bring us out of Egypt and make us his people. But when we are delivered from bondage, although it is God's work to help us, we must be active in our cause. Now that we are alive from the dead, we must wrestle with principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness if we are to overcome. I remember when I was kind of seeking God, if, if you like. I kept going to church and I was doing things and every single time I would just sort of take some sort of step towards faith, something would go wrong in my life. And it would always make me retreat. I'm like, well, if that's what it's going to be like to follow God, I don't, I don't want that. And looking back now, I can see that was partly the enemy just going, nah, no way, I'm going to put all these, nah, nah, nah. Now that I've been a Christian for a while, it's less those things, it's more apathy. It's more self-reliance. It's, I'm tired, I don't have time to pray. Um, Fletcher and I love to read books uh, by C.S. Lewis together. And a few years back, we were reading Screwtape Letters. I don't know if you've ever read Screwtape Letters. It's a really, really interesting book. Uh, C.S. Lewis writes this book from the perspective of the devil and his little minions. And he's got Wormwood and Screwtape is sort of teaching Wormwood how to get Christians. It's a fascinating book of like just thinking through some of this stuff. And he says this. He says, you will say that they are very small sins and doubtless like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. So he's speaking to Wormwood saying, you're going to go after the Christians and what you're after is spectacular sins, big sins. And that's what you think is really, really important, right? But listen to what he says. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. The enemy here is God. God is the enemy of the devil. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that they culminate... Uh, that their culminative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Listen to these words. Murder is no better than cards if cards do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts, your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. See, here in what I would say is the West is we have comfortable Christianity. We have the beach to be at. It's wonderful. Some of you are like, yeah, I wish I was there. Uh, we have houses, we have cars, we have nice things. And often what that does is that separates us from our dependence upon God to go, well, we need God. And most people in our culture do not believe that they need God because they have it all. 
slowly cooled away from God. But notice what Moses is doing in this time. He is holding up this staff. This, this staff has been throughout the story. God's, God's representative sort of, um, it's been his weapon for them. It's been his divine thing that he's been using. He's been using this staff to kind of act and do things through it. So the staff is this, this sense of God is with us. This is the thing that's letting us know that God is acting on our behalf and he holds it up. And the holding it up is an example of what it looks like to depend upon God. And the story tells us that as he holds up the staff, they win the battle. As he drops the staff, they lose the battle. In the New Testament, what are the weapons that the Bible says are for the New Testament Christian that we had to hold up? I want to give you two. Faith. You have to keep exercising it and keep saying, oh, hang on. No, 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 no. We're not going to listen to the lies. We're going to listen to the truth. And the truth says that God loves us. So we're going to trust him. We're going to exercise our faith. Well, the... I've sinned and I've stuffed up and now I've got to, no, 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 yes, yes, you have sinned, but the Bible says turn to God and he forgives you. He's gracious, he's merciful, come to him. I've done this, God can't love me. No, 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 you have to keep exercising faith. It's a muscle, you must use it over and over and over again. You must sort of starve the lies and feed the faith. And also prayer. This is something that I've been weak in so much of my Christian life, but I'm learning that I need to be more on my knees for God, with God, than on my feet doing for God. Right? There's nothing we can do apart from God. And we must remain dependent upon God. And so as a church, we've said we want to be prayerfully dependent people. We are calling you, calling me, to continually pray to God, to not become self-sufficient, to not say, well, we've got all this. We know how the career works. We've got the study sorted. I know which direction I'm going. And has COVID not taught us our need to be dependent upon God, that anything can change in our, in our culture, in our time? Anything can happen. So we need to stay near with God. We need to hold up the staff of prayer, and say, God, keep me close. God, cool my, uh, warm my heart. God, change me. God, help me to rely on you. Church, Christian, you're in a battle. And it's a spiritual battle for your soul, for your heart. Prayer connects that heart back to God. My encouragement to you, every day, put your knees on the ground before you let your feet hit the ground. Knees before feet. Many of you heard me say it over and over again. I try this rhythm and then I get out of the rhythm and then I get back. It's like now every morning before I do anything, I want to get my, my feet off the ground. I want to put my knees on the ground and go, God, this is the day that you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. What do you want me to do today? How do you want me to live today? This is what it means to live for God in the world. And so number one, be prepared to fight the good fight. Number two, be ready to share the good news. So after this, we get to this really, really cool story where Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, he's in Midian. Now, for those of you who aren't aware of the story, Moses was in Egypt for 40 years. He kills a guy. He flees. He comes over here to this place called Midian. He stays there for 40 years, and then he returns with his wife and two children to come back and be the deliverer. He meets a man named Jethro, and he marries his daughter, Sipporah, has two children, 
Somewhere on this journey, we don't really know, he has sent Zipporah and the two kids to go back to the dad, to go back to Jethro. And so he does, they give him a report, and then Jethro wants to come and meet with Moses. So they've gone closer back to Midian. And so it tells us in verse 7, And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of the welfare and went into the tent. Like, how are you going? How have things been? And then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardships that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And look at this. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord excuse me, had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the land of the Egyptians. Verse 10. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 11, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. You see, Jethro is not a Hebrew. He is not following Yahweh. He doesn't really know Yahweh. Essentially what, what he is, is he's, he's Australia. Which is like, you believe what you believe, it's all good. Like, you pray to whoever you want to pray for and to and whatever, and it's like, it's fine. You have your thing, I have my thing, and it's all, like, we're all good. Just, just be a good person, it's all good. That's kind of what the Midians, they were just like, worship whoever. We've we got, no, we got no dramas with you. Um, and then it's like, oh no, I've come to realize, like, it's not just whatever. There is one God. Yahweh. This is essentially, in our terms, his uncle, uh, his father-in-law, becoming a Christian. He has shared the good news of this is what God has done over these years. This is what God has done, and this is what God has done, and this is what God has done, and this is what God has done. And somewhere along the way, as he is telling him the good news of God, he's like, oh man, all the gods, all the things that I thought I should worship, they're not like that. It's like, yeah, welcome to the true God. Hey, church, we got to tell people about the God that we worship. People don't know the God that we worship. They have a version because they live in Midian that they're told about our God, and it's not the God of the Bible. We have good news to tell people. Come and meet this God. Come and meet the God that I worship. Come and, come and meet the God that's changed my life and transformed my life and transformed my family and transformed my marriage. Come meet this God. You have neighbors, you have co-workers, you have other students that are living around you who don't know this God question. Are we telling them about him? The whole point of them becoming a nation isn't just so it becomes us for and no more. It's that they would become the people of God to declare his excellencies to the rest of the world. And other nations would see and hear about this God and go, this God that we've been worshiping, he ain't real. Yahweh's real. Jesus is real. God is real. This is what has happened here. He is, over time, maybe Zipporah has already been telling him, and now Moses is telling him again, but he has come to believe in this God. Last Sunday, we got to celebrate with a new church family member who has come to believe in Jesus, and we baptized her, and we rejoiced together for someone who did not know him has now come to know him and is following him, and her life is changing. 
How interesting is it that when we first become Christians, we cannot wait to tell people about God. The statistics tell us the longer you're a Christian, the less likely you're to share your faith. What? Surely the longer we're a Christian, the more we know about him. It was like, man, I've got even more to tell you. I thought he just helped me get over, you know, this drug addiction. I thought he just helped me do this. Man, he's doing all of this stuff. God is so good. Our world needs to hear it. And can I just tell you, they're the most open that they've ever been because they're realizing that this world they live in is broken. It's not working. The way that they've been living, it doesn't bring them the joy that they thought it should bring them. It's not bringing them the peace that they thought it would bring them. The system is broken. The culture is broken, and they're feeling it. The more and more people who I speak to who are not Christians are dissatisfied with the life that they have. And so you just kind of go, well, can I tell you one where you'll never be dissatisfied? You might not always have every single day as bliss, but you'll be satisfied every single day because even on your worst day, you'll know that you have God and you can never lose him. This is what he's calling them to do. Tell people about me. Number one, be prepared to fight the good fight. Number two, be ready to share the good news. Number three, be willing to do God's work God's way. So Moses loves the people, right? He He's been the deliverer. He's, he's played this role. Now they're out in the wilderness and there's tents and camps and father-in-law comes, father-in-law becomes a Christian, a follower of God. And then it says, 18, 13 to 16, the next day Moses sat to judge the people. And he stood around Moses uh, from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is it that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make known to them the statues of God and his laws. Okay, so we're a church of maybe 200 people. Do you think we've all got questions? Like, have you got some questions? Have you got some things that you think about God and you'd like answers to? Okay, now imagine that's two million of you. And I just sit here all day. And I was like, next, next, next. And I do that day after day after day. How do you think I'll feel by the end of, say, two weeks? Would I be, like, filled and emotional? My tank just full? Or would I be exhausted? This is kind of this is what he's doing. He's sitting there day after day and he's going, well, they're, they're coming to him because he's like the man of God. He's the one who's been rescuing. He's the one who's been talking to God. And so they're all coming to him and going, okay, well, now that we're learning about this thing called following God as his people, um, we've got all these questions. Well, what do we do about this? And what do we do about that? And what do we do about this? And he's listening to one person after another. Let's say just a million people. There's so many questions, and, and it's not saying that they're all complaining anymore, right? These are people who are like, no, we want to know about God. These are people who have genuine questions. Well, what about this? What, what, it, how, what is this difference does it make to how we study? What difference does this now make to how we do marriage? What difference does it make to how we eat? And so they're going after one thing, after another thing, and his, his father-in-law is like, man, wh- like, what are you doing? When Moses told his father-in-law the gospel, he never once mentions his own name. 
It's all, God just did all this stuff. Here, when now he's like living free, he's been saved, and now he's doing ministry, now it's all about him. Do you notice? Well, I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and they're coming to me. How interesting is it that we will often talk about the fact that we're saved by grace, but then we no longer live by it. Yeah, God did all this stuff for me, but now I've got to do it all in my own strength. And so what Moses is doing here, he's doing a good thing. He's doing God's work, but he's not learning how to do it God's way. And it is one thing to do God's work. It's another thing to do it God's way. So Moses, his father-in-law, says to him, what you are doing is not good. And he said, mate, you've been a Christian for four seconds. Stop talking to me. No, he doesn't. He listens to him. He says, you and the people will, will certainly wear yourselves out, for this thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now, obey my voice. Like, listen, listen to me, man. I've been living for a while. Let me give you some wisdom. I'll give you advice, and God will be with you. You shall represent the people before God, bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them known in the way in which they must walk. He goes on to say, now I want you to train up and equip different people to look after different things, and we're going to share the load. And I love this, because what he's saying is, hey Moses, this is not just about you and me anymore. Other people have things they can do too. So it's not just stop like relying on your own strength and come back here to rely on the grace of God. It's like share the load. I've, I've not just called you, Moses, to do ministry. I've called everyone to do ministry. Everyone has something to contribute. Everyone has gifts and skills and talents. Share the, the load. You can't do all this on your own. You're going to become weary and they will become weary. You need to equip others to serve alongside you. And so what he does is he goes and he equips certain different types of people. This is really the first time we really see this concept of eldership fleshed out in, in the sort of uh, the early ancient time that now we see kind of coming into the New Testament church where there are elders supposed to be sharing some of the pastoral load. This is kind of this principle of like this is, this is all of us working together, all of us playing a part. And listen, there are some of us here who the first part of that is the challenge. It's just stepping into actually doing God's work. It's playing a part. And for some of you in the room, I want to encourage you. If you're not serving God, if you're not doing God's work, make it your goal in term two of 2022 that you're going to get off, off the seat and into the game. Contribute. Find ways to use what God has given you to serve him, his purposes, even in this particular church. Lean in, serve, contribute, use what God has given you. And some of us, we're doing that, and I want to thank you for doing that. We don't, we don't have this church without you. I don't know if you've noticed, but no one comes and asks me for advice. <laughs> That's a joke, some of you do. <laughs> some of you are like, man, we don't know how to take you. I know, it's okay. It's grace. Some of us, though, we're weary and we're tired because we're doing God's work, but we're doing it our way. We're trying to do it in our own strength. We're trying to do things our way. And if that is you, remember who you serve today. 
all the things that you do in your life, whether it's your, your career, your study, or whether it's particular serving here on a Sunday at church, or whether it's participating in your life group and, and making meals for people and serving others, often it can be hard work, tiring work. So we must come back and remember why we serve, who we serve. We serve Jesus. One of those sayings that I remember my mum gave me years ago was that you serve an audience of one. Remember that. Everything you do is for Jesus. Focus on that. So number one, be prepared to fight the good fight. Number two, be prepared to share the good news. Number three, be willing to do God's work, God's way. And number four, be reminded that God's law leads to life. If you're here and you're not a Christian, maybe you've been told that, just culturally you've been given this perception that God is just this, this distant being who's just got all of these rules. He's got all of these restrictions. And for us as Westerners, rules means restrictions, does it not? And what, is, what does the speed limit of 60 mean? It means I can't go 80. That's what that means. Well, I want to go 80. Or as my wife would say, why do you go 80 when you're on the highway when it says you can go 100? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm an old man now. It's like going 80 is just a good speed, right? Um, for us, when we think of rules, rules, we think restriction. That's a very Western, that's a very modern way of understanding rules. And so uh, if you're not a Christian, often you think that that's what God is. God is this being over here who's just got all these rules and he's restricting you because what he wants you to do is just be like miserable. Just be like, oh, I love being a Christian. I don't get to smile. I don't get to tell jokes. I don't get to have any type of wine, that's for sure. Okay, God forbid. Okay, I've taken real wine away from communion. Now we've got this juice stuff. Like, oh, sorry if we're trying to have a bit. Like, there are these things that we're like, wow, I can't do this in a relationship, and I can't do that in a relationship, and there's all these restrictions. And the Bible would say, no, that's not the Christian God. And that's not the Christian gospel. The Christian gospel is not that God has all these rules for you because he's trying to restrict you. The story of Exodus shows us that. Look at the language of what God says to them. Verse 3 of 19, it says, While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, because I have freed you, now, because I've delivered you, now, because I've, I've done this thing of rescuing you, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will experience, here's what you will get if you will follow my ways, you will experience what it means to be my treasured possessions among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. Then you get to Exodus 20, and Exodus 20 is where we get the 10 commandments, the 10 rules. And before he gives them the Ten Commandments, he says this to them. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Why? To give you a whole bunch of rules to enslave you. I did all of that so that you can not be under the slavery of Pharaoh, but be under the slavery of Yahweh. No. And hasn't this been what they've been saying all along? Well, have you just brought us out here to kill us? Have you brought us all out here just so that we have these miserable, horrible lives? 
And Moses has been like, dude, you think God did all that just so you can go back and experience that, but just here? No. Why does God give them the instruction? Here's the reason why. If there's anything else you hear today, learn this. God is not interested in making bad people good people. He's interested in keeping freed people free. This is how you live out your freedom. I made you. I know how this thing works. I know how humans work. So if you're going to go into your neighbor's house and steal from them, guess what? It's going to go bad for you because what's neighbor going to do? Neighbor's going to come over here and go, you stole from me. And he's going to go, no, I, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, and then we're going to have a fight. If you come over here and you, you steal your, your, neighbor, your neighbor's spouse, there's going to be issues. If you do all of these things, you're no longer going to be free. You're going to be just like you were in Egypt. You're going to be enslaved We've got a journey here through the wilderness and I'm taking you somewhere. Trust my way. I made a fish and I didn't make it so it would walk on land. I made it so it would swim in the sea. A fish is most free, most enjoyable, most at peace when it lives according to God's design. Not when it says, well, nah, mate, I'm an Aussie fish and nobody tells me what to do. I know I ain't got no legs, but these little flappy things, I'm going to get them going on land and I'm going to experience what it's like. And all of a sudden, boom, fish is dead. Because fish, not made for land. Fish, made for water. Humanity, humans, you, me, guess what we're made for? God's way. God knows what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. God knows what it means to be a marriage, to be a family. God knows what it means on how to be generous so that we're not filled with greed. God has all of these ways for his people not to enslave them, but to keep them free. Why is God giving them laws, rules, statutes? Because he wants them to be free. For some reason, Christians in the New Testament have this belief that the opposite of the gospel is law. It's commands, it's instructions. And there's a sense in which we would say to be a Christian is not to obey the rules. That's not what makes you a Christian. There is truth in that. But if you read the Old Testament writers, they love the law. Listen to Psalm 19. Verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the law is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the law is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the law are true and righteous altogether. Listen to verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. More by them is your servant warmed, in keeping them there is great reward. When you read the writers of the Old Testament, when they think about God's law, when they think about God's commands, his instructions, his statutes, his rules, they go, oh, that is good. Because to them... This is the path to the beautiful life. And we come in as modern people and go, rules, law, bad, gospel, good. No, the opposite of the gospel is not law, it's merit. 
That is that by obeying this, now God loves you. By obeying this, now God will forgive you. The story is telling us he's already done the saving. He's already done the rescuing, right? I got that line from Gary Miller as we walked through the book of Deuteronomy a couple of years ago in a study intensive. As you, if you read the book of Deuteronomy, there are literally, so from chapter 12 to 26, it's just law. It's just rules. And you read it, and you're like, it's a lot of rules. My kids think there's a lot of rules. 12 to 26 of Deuteronomy, that's a lot of rules. And at the end, it says, choose life, choose death. All of these rules, all of my law, all of my ways are the way to life, to experience fullness in relationship with God. So if you're not a Christian, it is true. The gospel is good news because the gospel tells us that we are not saved by God. We are not put in a right relationship with God by our merit. It's not our obeying. It's not doing all the rules that makes us right with God. God frees us first, makes us right with him, and then he says, now I'm going to give you my spirit. Now I'm going to help you to live this way. Because before you were made right with me, you have no power to be able to do it. You can't do it. Now listen, if you don't want a Sabbath, that's fine. Sabbathing, taking a day of rest, doesn't get us right with God. And so we have a whole society who doesn't know how to rest. And God's like, that's cool. That's not, that's not obeying that doesn't get you merit with me and make you right with me. Hey, but if you want to actually live at a, at a pace and in a life where you are emotionally and mentally healthy and spiritually healthy, here's what I encourage you to do. Stop. Take off an entire day and spend it with me. Think about me. Rest, relax. Put the, put the stuff away and remember what it looks like to live by faith, trusting that I'm the one who feeds you. I'm the one who guides you. I'm the one who gives you life. If, if, you, if you want to do your relationship your way, okay. But this is where it leads. Or you can, or you can do relationships my way. And this is where they lead. And it leads to life. And I can tell you, sometimes I don't want to do relationships God's way. You read Ephesians 5, God's way is for me to die to myself. I don't like it. I don't like anything that has to do with me serving. Do I get any other men in the house saying, amen? Okay, but the Bible says, no, no, the way that you have a good marriage, husband, this is for me, lay down your life for your wife, die to yourself. Serve her, love her, give it up, and serve her. Don't dominate your children, serve them, love them. Do you know how annoying that is? For some reason, we just had four of them. I don't know why we kept having more. It's like, man, this sucks. Every time I get another one, I'm going to serve more. <laughs> the way to life is receiving by faith the free gift of God in salvation and then learning to live his way. As the band come up, obedience is the way of grace. That's what this has been telling us. You're saved by grace. You're freed by grace. It's not because you did anything. It's because God chose to freely come and bring you out. And now he's saying, do ministry, do ministry by grace. Keep, keep leaning into my strength. Don't keep doing it on your own. And keep obeying by grace. Let me help you become the people of God. And I will give you grace. Grace 
is not only unmerited favor, it's also enabling power. And so there are things that you and I find hard to do for God. And we know that God tells us to do this and God tells us to do that. And sometimes we're like, we're fine with it. Other times like, man, that's hard. Again, lean into the grace of God, that God has saved you. He's delivered you. He's set you free. And now he's calling you, not absent from his grace, but present with his grace. Lift up your staff of faith. Lift up your staff of prayer and go to him and ask for his help. And I'm yet to meet the Christian who does this, who's miserable. I'm yet to find them who's like, man, I've, I've, I've prayed, I'm believing in Jesus, I'm starting to walk in his ways, and life is worse. I'm not yet to meet the man or the woman. Every single person who does this is goes, like, it's not easy. It's not just a bed of roses, but it's beautiful and it's good because everything I do, I'm learning more about God. I'm loving him more. I'm realizing how much he loves me. So, hey, if you're here and you're in the room and you're not a Christian, yes, you can't become a Christian by your merit, by being good and obeying the rules. It's something that Jesus is freely giving you. And so you freely receive it. And then for those of us who are Christians, now it's like, okay, now that we have freely received, now let's freely live for him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.